What's up, divers? Welcome into the Deep Dive Fantasy Football Podcast, where I take a deep analytical look at fantasy football and combine it with a common sense approach to lead us to some titles. I'm your host, Brandon Gabor, and before we get started, remember you can follow me on Twitter at DeepDiveFF, on Instagram at DeepDiveFantasyFootball, and as always, check out the website DeepDiveFantasyFootball.com. With that being said, let's get to the content. What's up, divers? Welcome into the Deep Dive Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Gabor, and I just got to tell you guys straight up, I am mid-grind right now. It's been a rough past three days, been, you know, grinding on football, of course, but I've been, you know, having a lot of other things on my plate, and I am dead tired right now. I'm not going to lie to you guys. I stayed up, just this game just finished overtime. I'm recording this after the Saints game, Monday night pumping this out to you guys in about four hours. Um, it's it's almost 1 a.m. at time of recording right now. And uh, I just downed a massive coffee because I need to get you guys the content. And, you know, I'm not going to bail out on you guys. If anytime I'm, I'm able to, unless it's a technology issue, I am getting the content out to you guys. So with that said, we're going to get into it because... It's late for me. I don't want to fall asleep while recording. So let's get into it. Waiver pickups. Alexander Madison, Dalvin Cook went down. We don't know the full extent of the injury yet. The MRI apparently was okay, but we don't know what that really means. Is he going to miss a week? Is he going to miss two weeks? Or is he back next week? Also, if he is back, are they giving him full go, full clearance? They're giving him all the snaps like normal. Is it going to be a 50-50? We have no idea. And because all of us know how valuable running backs are and how good Alexander Madison is and how great the situation for Alexander Madison is, he is a very good pickup. And a lot of people might be sleeping on him if they think Dalvin Cook is going to come back in a week. We have no idea. And Dalvin Cook has shown to be somebody that gets injured a lot. And I usually have the percentages of you know how much somebody is owned for you guys. But I do not have that available because I always use Yahoo. And for some reason, um, Yahoo, I don't know if it's because there's a game on Tuesday. So they didn't like plug in everything yet. But some of the stuff on Yahoo that I usually have available to me is not available right now. So I don't have the percentages. But I'm assuming Alexander Madison is going to be on a lot of you guys' waivers. And if he is, take a look at him. Another guy, Chase Claypool. We're going to get into the details on this guy. I'm super excited about this guy, which is crazy because I was not thinking that was going to be the case. But I'm super excited on this guy. He's definitely worth a pickup. Travis Fulgham is also somebody that you can pick up. He had a great day for the Eagles. But for reasons that I will explain later, I'm not really putting money on him. I'll just put in like a $0 bid, maybe a $1 bid if I really need a wide receiver. But Fulgham's not really somewhere I'm going. By the way, for Claypool, I would put, if you need a receiver, I would put a substantial amount on Claypool. I'm talking 10 to 20% if you really want it. If you really want to take, you know, that home run swing at a guy who has so much, so much potential in an offense that has always been great for receivers. And he has a body type, like I said, we'll get into it. Um, But it's very good for the situation he's in. Preston Williams, he finally decided to blow up after everyone finally said, okay, we could drop him. Um, It was an awful lot of targets. It was only five targets, four receptions, but over 100 yards. He had a touchdown. And, you know, I think it's going to be to a time here soon enough. Obviously, it's going to get pushed back at least one week because Fitzpatrick had a great day. They're not going to bench him all of a sudden. But if you guys listen to my Unhinged podcast, the Dolphins need to get to it in, and they need to do it soon because they need to figure out what they got there, and I think that they're smart enough to realize that themselves. So I do expect to see Tua here soon, and maybe he's better for Preston Williams than Fitzpatrick has been. Andy Dalton, if you're in super flex leagues, with Dak Prescott going down, which is super unfortunate. The guy, you know, he's he didn't have great contracts already because of the fourth round draft pick contract situation. And then he got the franchise tag, which he will get that money. So that's good at least. But, you know, he's basically a free agent. He is a free agent next year. And he was on record setting paces. He was going to be making so much money if he continued the pace he was on. It's ridiculous. Now that's all derailed. So it's a super unfortunate thing for Dak. Hopefully we are all just sending out our prayers for the guy. Hopefully he gets a massive contract next season, whether it's with the Cowboys or with someone else, because he definitely, definitely deserves it. And I think he's proven enough 
to, you know, all the doubters, no matter if you're one of the doubters, he's definitely one of, he's definitely an above average NFL quarterback, if not, you know, close to top 10. So he definitely deserves the money. But Andy Dalton in a super flex league, he has so many weapons and the Dallas defense is so bad. Andy Dalton is going to have to throw the ball just as much as Dak was having to throw the ball. And while he might not be as good as Dak and he doesn't have the legs Dak has, he still has the weapons that Dak has. And when you have to throw the ball a lot and you have good weapons, you're going to be good for fantasy. So Andy Dalton in super flex leagues, I wouldn't be surprised if he's a, you know, quarterback 12 to 14 range all season, maybe even a little bit better. And then lastly, Mikkel Hardman, Sammy Watkins got hurt again. It doesn't seem like it's going to be too big of an issue, but he's somebody that gets hurt a lot. Mikkel Hardman has been getting a plentiful amount of snaps and he's somebody that seems to be getting just more involved in developing and taking different types of responsibilities in that offense and it's a great explosive offense and I think it's going to get better as the season goes on so Michael Hardman is also somebody that you can add to your lineups now we can get into what we learned and I'm going to start with the Falcons Panthers game Todd Gurley he ran for a hundred yards for the first time since 2018 you may think I'm like hey wow in a good way but I'm not. That's not a good thing. Since 2018, he has not run for 100 yards until this week versus the Panthers. We're going to talk about him later as a possible sell high. There are some contingencies on that. And I know I've been calling him a sell high, and I still believe it, even though he had a good game. I didn't expect he was going to have a great game this week like he did, but I did think he was going to have a pretty good game. The Panthers have not been good versus running backs by any means. So, I did think he was going to be good. So don't let that throw you off of, you know, my opinion of him as a, a sell high. And like I said, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Robbie Anderson, he's definitely the best Panthers wide receiver to own. I was completely wrong on this in the, the offseason. Most people were. I actually don't know anybody that touted Robbie Anderson above DJ Moore. And a lot of people are still hesitant to make that switch. Look, that switch needs to be made. If we want to be successful in fantasy football, we have to be willing to accept when we were wrong and switch before it's too late. And I believe that is what is happening here in Carolina. And now with hindsight, I kind of look back and I say, man, I'm surprised I I wasn't just knowing myself and knowing my process. I'm surprised I wasn't more hesitant on DJ Moore considering Robbie Anderson's history with Matt Rule back in college. So, you know, and they brought him and they paid him a good amount. And I think we kind of just let the whole Jets organization and what they did and how they used Robbie Anderson kind of just dictate our thoughts on Robbie Anderson. And we didn't really open up to the idea that he could be used completely differently. And he has been being used completely differently. He is being used as a possession receiver. And he's been very good. Very good. He pulled in 13 targets in this game to DJ Moore's five. I actually just bought DJ Moore in one of my leagues thinking, you know, maybe DJ Moore is going to get out-targeted or is going to target oh my goodness, going to get more targets than Robbie Anderson, there we go, in this game versus the Falcons. And, you know, maybe it was just because DJ Moore had been seeing hard corners. The Falcons did not have any tough corners that should be able to lock down or give the number one wide receiver on a team a super tough time. So considering that that didn't exist and Robbie Anderson more than doubled the target share of DJ Moore, completely showed me that Robbie Anderson is the number one dude there. And also, DJ Moore, he put up a 20-point fantasy game, but it was off pretty much all of it, 14 points of it, was off of one play that was not supposed to be a big play. It was a short flat out to the sideline, and DJ Moore took it all the way down the sideline for like 70-something yards to the end zone, or like 57 yards. So it was like 12 points of his 20 off that one reception, which is ridiculous. So DJ Moore... um, If you can see, I'm trying to flip him already. I just acquired him in a league and I'm trying to flip him because of the good game because he's not getting the target share. But that's something that's super important to talk about. And just to realize Robbie Anderson's the guy there. Calvin Ridley, he continues to be a beast, continues to dominate. Matt Ryan continues to suck despite it. 37 passes for Matt Ryan, only eight fantasy points. With the firing of coaches, I am curious if and well, coach as in Dan Quinn, and then GM. I'm wondering if Julio might get traded amidst the inevitable rebuild that is happening in Atlanta, especially when they have a bunch of good guys. Like, they don't have a lot of cap space, and they have a bunch of good players coming up that need contracts. So they're about to be in, uh, like, a long-haul rebuild. So I'm curious if Julio's going to get traded amidst this, especially because 
you know, they're clearly not going anywhere this year. They're probably not going anywhere next year. And Julio Jones is somebody that is only going to be useful for the next two, maybe three years. And I'm sure he wants to be on a team that's going to get something done. And he might demand a trade himself. So that's something that's interesting to monitor. Teddy Bridgewater, he's been playing really well. And he has the Panthers at a 3-2 and two record. And that's without Christian McCaffrey and a pretty bad defense. Those things have to make you think. Is Teddy Bridgewater there for the long term? Or at least to the, I, I believe, was it two years or three years? I actually don't remember if he signed a two-year or three-year contract. But we all were like, oh, Teddy's just a bridge quarterback. They're definitely going to be trying to look for a quarterback in the draft. Look, if this continues, if they finish with like an 8-8 eight and eight record, which is definitely possible, especially when McCaffrey gets back and their young defense, especially the D-line, continues to develop with Brian Burns, Derek Brown, and um, when the other DT, who his name is escaping me right now, gets back from injury or you know is fully healthy, that'll help them out too. If they finish 8-8, eight and eight, which like I said is very possible, Teddy Bridgewater might be... The quarterback there and Matt Rule just might build with Teddy Bridgewater. Um, I don't know if it's like a very high ceiling play, but it's a quick turnaround that the Panthers might be able to have. So that's interesting um, for dynasty purposes, because I don't know if the Panthers are like any longer a possible landing spot for guys like Trevor Lawrence or Trey Lance or any of those guys we were initially pegging to them. Now let's move to the Dolphins. Seventy, The Dolphins versus the 17ers. <clears throat> Sorry excuse me, not 17ers. That was how many points the 49ers put up against the Dolphins. So, sorry, the Dolphins versus the 49ers. Jimmy Graham, <laughs> Jimmy Graham, Jimmy Garoppolo tosses up two gimme interceptions, two of them, and he gets replaced to, air quotes, protect him. So it's an interesting situation to watch there because, look, they might say, the coach might say, you know, oh, we pulled out Jimmy to protect him. It was, the game was getting out of hand. Yada, yada, yada. Maybe his ankle's not 100%. But let me ask you this, if C.J. Beathard led them back in the comeback and now they're like in game-winning mode, they're going to leave C.J. Beathard in because they he brought them back. It's not like, oh, we're protecting Jimmy, but if the game was close, we'd put Jimmy in. That's definitely not the case. So if they're saying protecting Jimmy, it's got to be from the injury standpoint, which I don't know how, how much he's really hurt, and I don't know if that really affected his overthrows that just ended up becoming interceptions. But yeah, it's something to watch for sure. If you listen to my unhinged episode that came out just randomly, which I'm really excited about those. I'm going to do a couple of those every once in a while. Um, If you listen to that, you know I am loving the Dolphins rebuild, and I really think that they can compete next year. I really think that. This game, to me, confirmed that. Miles Gaskin is the locked-in RB2 I spoke of, so get him still if you can. He got a touchdown with Jordan Howard, a healthy scratch. This raises his touchdown upside. Jordan Howard was not hurt. He did not play in the game because they decided not to play him in the game. And he was poaching touchdowns from Miles Gaskin. If he's not there anymore, which, I mean, with how successful the Dolphins were with him as a healthy scratch and the fact that Gaskin and Breda performed well, I don't see a reason that they would make him active all of a sudden if he was held out for no reasons concerning injuries. So I think you can just basically look at Jordan Howard as somebody who might not even be playing game to game now. And Gaskin is definitely a locked in RB2, especially once that, because um, this was a tough matchup, especially once that schedule gets easier. Preston Williams talked about him a little bit earlier. He finally showed up with the hundred yards, uh, four receptions off five targets and a touchdown. Devonte Parker had just three targets, but I'm not worried. It was a tough matchup. Fitzmagic, he showed up big. Probably going to have to wait another week for Tua. Raheem Mostert dominated running back touches in return. I don't really understand why McKinnon was doing so good. I thought he was going to get some type of share, even though Mostert was back. And they just acted like McKinnon died. He only got three touches. I don't understand it at all. But I guess Mostert is just the same guy he was in the first two weeks when it seemed like he was just the only running back there. All the 49ers receivers had a bad day. That Miami secondary, also something I talked about on the Unhinged episode, is pretty good. So that doesn't surprise me. And it was Jimmy's first game back, and apparently he wasn't 100% healthy. So, you know, that that's basically why all the 49ers receivers had a bad day. I wouldn't be too worried about them. By them, I mean specifically George Kittle, Debo Samuel. Ayuk is not somebody I have any interest in. Let's talk about the Vikings-Seahawks. First off, before we get into the fantasy, are you kidding me, Minnesota? The Vikings showed some 
major, major stupidity in the end game. They're up by five points. There's less than two minutes left. They're up by five points, less than two minutes left. They're inside the 20-yard line. And they go for fourth down instead of kicking a field goal to go up by eight. Can we just discuss this for a moment? What is the worst case scenario when you kick the field goal, assuming you make it because it's a gimme, it's easier than a PAT. It's a gimme field goal. If you make the field goal, which is like 95% chance you do that, because like I just said, it's easier than a PAT, and the PAT success rate I think is in the 80s, you're up by eight. Worst case, worst case scenario. Seattle, with under two minutes in the game, is able to drive down, score a touchdown, and convert a two-point conversion, and that just puts it into overtime. They could go down, score a touchdown, and you can stop them for the win. You could stop them from scoring a touchdown completely for the win. Or you can do what you did, which was super stupid, and that's go for it on fourth. And guess what? You got stopped, and that's what you get for being stupid. Why would you go for it on fourth? Being up by eight, And being up by, if they scored a touchdown and an extra point, 12, yes, I get that there's a difference and that it's a one-possession to a two-possession game. But go up by eight. Take the guaranteed eight-point lead. It's not even a seven-point lead giving the Seahawks a chance to beat you with a two-point. No, the two-point would just tie it. And guess what? The, The Seahawks did go down, and they did score a touchdown because, of course, they did. They have the best quarterback in the league or the second best if you say Mahomes is the best which I don't really have an opinion. I think they're one, number 1A one and 1A. One like, one's a capital and one's lowercase, and I'm not sure which one is the 1A capital. But they're both amazing. Anyways, of course they're going to go down and score a touchdown. And then guess what? They went for the two-point, so they could try and go up by three just in case you were able to get a field goal, and they missed it. Now, obviously, they would have had a different play call probably if they were trying to tie the game, and maybe it would have been differently. But they missed the two-point, So going up by eight could have definitely served you well, and I was just screaming at the TV when they did that. But moving on to to fantasy, it just, it baffles me when, like, us regular fans know, like, a horrible decision made by people that are making millions of dollars when it's made. So, anyways, they lost. They deserve it. That's what they get. DK Metcalf, he continues his dominance, as does Russell Wilson. Chris Carson is maintaining RB1 status. By that, I mean top 12 running back. And his receiving work is the key. He's got 21 receptions through the first five games. That puts him on pace for about 66 receptions. If my mental quick math is right, I I know it's at least 60. Dalvin Cook, he strained his groin. He scheduled for MRI. We talked about Alexander Madison earlier. He was amazing, even though Seattle has a very tough run defense. He had 20 carries for 112 yards. He also picked up all the receiving work. They literally use Alexander Madison exactly like they use Dalvin Cook. It's not like, oh, our best running back went down. Now our backup is going to take like 70% and our third string is going to take 30%. No, no, no. Alexander Madison is literally Dalvin Cook when Dalvin Cook is out. Justin Jefferson, and that's why he needs to be owned. Justin Jefferson came back down to earth. It's part of why I'm not all in on him for a redraft. That team is bad right now, and I'm not sure how many targets he's going to get. Thielen got 13. Jefferson got five. Now let's talk about the Giants-Cowboys game. Evan Ingram, where are you? If you look at his points, oh, Evan Ingram had a good game. No, he did not. Two targets, two targets in such a perfect game script for such a perfect opponent. Two targets. And his touchdown wasn't even a receiving touchdown. It was a fluky rush touchdown where he should have gotten tackled three yards behind the line of scrimmage, but instead he was able to get around with his speed and get in. Slayton, Darius Slayton, he's the clear number one guy. He's the only startable guy that wears a New York Giants jersey for fantasy purposes, in my opinion. Evan Ingram, like you're gonna have to start him if you have him, because you probably picked up, you know, picked him up high in drafts, and you probably don't have a tight end better than him. So you probably have to start him. But the only guy I like to start at all that plays for that team is Darius Slayton. Aside from the touchdown, Devonta Freeman was not great despite an easy matchup. I'm not touching the running backs for the Giants. I've said it multiple times, and I'm saying it again here. Dak is out for the year, unfortunately. I'm not sure how this will affect the wide receivers, but Andy Dalton was good in a small sample. I believe he was like 9 out of 11 passes for over 100 yards. No touchdowns or picks, but he looked pretty good, and uh, he was rolling out the pocket, making some good 
good passes. He had like two sick passes to CeeDee Lamb. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think that the wide receiver is going to be here too much. I do think Amari Cooper, though, his dominance is kind of going to come down a little bit. So that's the one thing. But I still think that the wide receivers in that offense, because of how much they're going to have to throw, are still going to be pretty good. So because of that, Dalton, like we talked about, is going to be a good pickup in super flex leagues. Ezekiel Elliott, he was great per usual. CeeDee Lamb went off 11 targets, 8 receptions, 124 yards. Please, please, once this podcast is over, or even if you want to pause it right now, if you're not driving or working out or whatnot, look up CeeDee Lamb, Week 5 highlights. There will be a nice, like, two-minute video there for you. He has some sick catches, and he took huge hits on these catches, and he got right up, which is crazy because he's not the biggest guy. He's definitely muscular. He's lean. I'm not saying anything bad. I'm just saying he's not like Mike Evans or something. He's not like some huge monster Julio Jones, and he just gets right up, and he's ready to go, and I love it. I love it. This kid is... I can't even say this kid. Um, This guy is a beast, and he's well on his way to stardom. Amari Cooper... Excuse me. Amari Cooper, he underwhelms Four targets only, two receptions, 23 yards. Now let's talk about Browns, Colts. Trey Burton, he's one to keep an eye on. That's all I'm going to say for right now because that offense is a mess. Jonathan Taylor, only 12 carries. He was decent with them, but we we need more than that. We really do for Jonathan Taylor. The Colts offense is likely to be frustrating all year. Oh yeah, and as it's become a daily podcast tradition for me here on Deep Dive Fantasy Football, I have to say it. Rivers sucks. More interceptions so far through the season than touchdowns thrown. I told you guys, Rivers is the limiting factor on that team. And that team is not a playoff team with Phillip Rivers behind the offensive line controlling that offense. Baker Mayfield, he continues to show he is not even streamable. Browns win games. They're 4-1. and one. They continue to win games. They continue to score points, and Baker still does nothing for fantasy. I was low on Baker. This is looking good so far. Baker Mayfield shouldn't be on your rosters unless it's super flex, period. Kareem Hunt, he got a good workload, solid output as everyone expected. Odell and Jarvis both made some really cool circus catches. Jarvis had like a helmet catch, and Odell had some crazy catch that somehow didn't hit the ground, and he kept it in his arm. It was cool. Other than that, though, they didn't really get high target shares as, or not target shares, high targets as, you know, pretty much every week. Even when Odell had his blow-up week in terms of targets, he wasn't getting much. So, you know, Odell and Jarvis, they're okay, but they're not people I'm excited about for fantasy. We've talked about it. Raiders, Chiefs, well, well, well. Gruden, Gruden's got a squad. They got wins over the Saints and the Chiefs. That shows you what this offense can do when they are clicking and when they're healthy. Henry Ruggs makes a huge difference, and there's nothing you can say to prove that wrong. There's And there's nothing you can say to change my mind. The Chiefs were covering everything short. They basically told Derek Carr, the only way you are going to beat us is if you throw it deep. It's almost like they were daring him to do so. Well, he did. And guess what? The Raiders won. If Carr can keep committed to the deep ball... This Raiders team could be dangerous. Darren Waller is still the number one target. He dominated in terms of target share compared to everybody else. Jacobs got a little bit of receiving, which is something to monitor because week one versus the Panthers, he got a bunch of receiving and we're like, yes, we crowned Jacobs as, you know, he got the receiving. He's going to get it all year. Well, it's it's kind of starting to get concerning now. So it's something again that we're going to have to go monitor. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, he is a screaming by low right now guys a screaming by low he's got no touchdowns since week one he had one this week but it got called back and he only had three receptions yes i know but he had eight targets eight 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 targets that's insane clyde edwards hilaire the touchdowns are going to come that offense is kind of you know not been underwhelming i I guess some people could use that terminology um but the offense is going to continue to score points, probably a little bit more than what they've been doing. Clyde is going to have the touchdowns come. He's got the positive regression coming to his, coming his way. So he's a screaming by low. He continues to just be giving you a consistent floor. Trust me, guys, the ceiling performances will come, and you want to have him on your team before they do. Tyreek Hill, he also had a touchdown called back, 
but he still got one in. It was a rushing touchdown. Sammy Watkins got injured again. Surprise. Mikul Hardman should be owned. Travis Kelsey had a great day, and honestly, there was nothing unusual from your Kansas City Chiefs. There was really just the talking points on the Raiders and the fact that Clyde's uh, screaming by low. And other than that, that's pretty much it for that game. Now let's move to Eagles-Steelers. Miles Sanders, he had a 74-yard touchdown run, and then he did nothing the rest of the day. I'm not worried about it, though. I knew it was a tough matchup coming in, actually for both running backs on both sides of the ball. Travis Fulgham, he's a rookie who broke out for 13 targets, 10 receptions, 10 receptions 152 yards, and a touchdown. Keep this in mind. The Eagles have Alshon and Djax returning probably next week, and not too far after that, Rager and Goddard could be coming back too. This keeps me confident in Miles Sanders because as those threats come back, it's going to be easier to run. Running lanes are going to open up. Miles Sanders is going to be open more often coming out of the backfield for receptions. So I'm excited for Miles Sanders. I still am super confident in him as a very good RB1 and as in top 12 once again. And I'm not too excited for Fulgham for the same reasons because as those guys come back, Greg Ward is still there too. Fulgham's he's not in a, a good position to be able to get work. Deontay Johnson, he left the game with a back injury pretty early on. James Conner turned in a solid number versus stout run defense. Like I told you, it was a tough matchup for both of them, but Conner was able to get a touchdown, and you know he was able to put up a decent fantasy performance despite the tough matchup. I'm starting to get worried about Juju. Guys, he only has a 17% target share this far into the season, and, and, 17% target share, you know, that's not atrocious, but it's already way lower than what we expected. Most of us were thinking, you know, 21% to 23%. I personally was thinking even a little higher than that. Well, he's had a 17%, which is already too low. And that's with the fact that Deontay Johnson has been in and out of games hurt. And that was before Chase Claypool's breakout today. So it might get even lower. And with that said, let's talk about this guy. Chase Claypool, Wow. This is extremely important to note on Claypool moving forward. He is 6'4", 227, and runs a 4'4'2". Why does that matter? I usually am not one to focus on stuff like that. But it matters in the context of the Pittsburgh Steelers receiving room. He is unlike any other Pittsburgh Steeler wide receiver that they have now or have had in the past. They have always had those speedy receivers that are great route runners that get open, create a lot of separation. He is a completely different mold, a completely different mold. And this, to me, secures his role in this offense. He can do what no other Pittsburgh wide receivers can do in the red zone and with jump balls. He has a great dynasty outlook because of it. And Juju Smith-Schuster, he's a free agent after this year. And, you know, with the way he's been performing and how they've been using him, I'm not sure if it's going to be a priority to sign him, especially if he wants a lot of money. So we might be looking at a Deontay Johnson Chase Claypool wide receiver room next year. He went 11 targets, 7 receptions, 100. I'm sure you guys know this because it was a breakout to remember, but I'm going to say it anyways. 11 targets, 7 receptions, 110 receiving yards, 3 touchdowns. And if that wasn't enough, he also had a carry for a touchdown. He was scoring in every phase of the game. He is a monster and he's also in, you know, the wide receiver factory that is Pittsburgh Steelers. That is the Pittsburgh Steelers. So he's just in a perfect situation. And that's why I love him. And if you grabbed him in Dynasty, he is already, in my opinion, worth a first round pick. He is. Because he's going to be a beast. Even if Big Ben is not the quarterback there for long, he's the type of guy that it doesn't matter what quarterback you are. You just throw the ball up to him. He's He's got that Mike Williams that we saw in this game when Mike Williams, which we'll talk about, just came down with some clutch catches versus the Saints, one in the very end on the last drive. And, you know, then the Chargers still ended up losing, but we'll get to that. Cardinals, Jets, Christian Kirk, he's clearly, he's been getting healthier. He's finally, like, much healthier, like, in a good place to play and perform well. And he's getting back to his number two role. It's clear. Jameson Crowder is a solid wide receiver, too, whenever healthy, no matter the matchup. Le'Veon Bell, he wasn't great, but it's his first game back, so let's be a little bit patient with Le'Veon Bell. And he's going to get mad touches, so as long as you know he's not horrible to like the umpteenth degree, he will be fine as RB2. Kyler Murray continues his fantasy greatness. 
He may not be QB1, but he has put up 22 points minimum in every game. And this is in four point per passing touchdown leagues. Not six point, four point. His worst game so far has been 22. So he's a beast. Kenyon Drake, he finally scores, but Chase Edmonds also scores, and Edmonds is still getting the receptions. So Drake, um, I feel comfortable now. This was the last game I really wanted to see it to cement my thoughts on Drake. Despite the fact that he scored and had an okay day, Drake is a back-end RB2 the rest of the season. Rams versus Washington football team. Still so hard not to say Redskins. Antonio Gibson. He took all the carries. He took 11 out of 14 carries this week. And if you combine this week and last week, he's taking 67% of the carries. That may not sound a lot to those that have not really paid attention to how workloads you know, go for those that don't do too much research, but that's a lot. 67% is a lot. That's you know workload status. And it's just because that they weren't able to run the ball much versus the Rams and they were down and trying to catch up and stuff. So they didn't have a lot of carries to go around. That's why Gibson, even though he dominated the touches, only had 11 carries. But that's a good thing. It's a good thing that we can, you know, rely on moving forward. He's also still getting receiving work, which is also good. But McKissick is getting a tiny bit more. Maybe that'll flip some sometime this year. But even if not, as long as their offense takes a, a step or two forward, and hopefully it does with Alex Smith, Antonio Gibson is going to be just fine with the carries and the receiving work he's getting. The Rams were not giving Washington any time. So... The entire time, like all the plays, they were just dump offs to the running backs because Aaron Donald was there. Boom. Aaron Donald's there again. Boom. Next play. Aaron Donald. Boom. It was ridiculous. Ridiculous. Eight sacks the Rams put up against Washington. And I think that was the the reason for the tough day for McLaurin. They just didn't have the time. Alex Smith and Kyle Allen did not have the time to get the ball out. That's why the running backs just dominated in the receiving game. It was just Antonio Gibson and McKissick the entire time. Alex Smith, guys, what a story. He saw the field. He did get murdered, though. Six sacks because Kyle Allen got hurt. Then they brought in Alex Smith. And, you know, he looked pretty good. He looked better than I thought he was going to look. Like, in terms of, like, physically, like, moving through the pocket, managing his body when he's getting tackled. There was one tackle that Aaron Donald just jumped on his back and literally, like, was completely off the ground just on top of Alex Smith. And Alex Smith was like holding him up for a couple seconds before he got taken down. So Alex Smith, his, his leg seems strong to me. It seems fine. So I'm pretty excited to see what he's going to do moving forward with the Redskins. It looks like I was wrong on Higby for the season. Unless things turn around, I, it's, I'm sad to admit it, but it's true. He only had two, two targets. Everett had four. Now, that's not me saying I think Everett is the tight end that's going to be better. I still think Higby, by far and away, is the better tight end between the two of them. But... I think it's concerning the fact that Everett did get that much work. And that whole Rams offense has looked like a shell of itself. And that's not really good for anyone. It's not good for Higby. It's not good for Cup or Woods. It hasn't been good for anybody. The only person that's really produced has been Cup and Woods, but it hasn't been to the degree we are used to seeing. So I'm concerned about that offense. Hopefully, you know, Akers can help jumpstart it because they've always been really good when they had a great running back. And Akers had the best day on the ground. He broke a 46-yard run. He averaged over six yards per carry, mainly because of that big run. But still, he was the best running back by far among the three in terms of the running game. But Darrell Henderson did get the touchdowns. So that's why it doesn't look like Akers had a great day. I do think that door is opening more and more every week for Akers to take over that backfield. Bengals versus Ravens. The Bengals never had a chance. But there are some clear takeaways for fantasy. Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins are the wide receivers in that offense. Plain and simple, black and white, guys. Boyd, Higgins, that's the offense for the wide receiver core. And Joe Mixon is clearly getting the receiving work now. He pulled in a lot of targets again. This time it was eight. And despite the fact that the Bengals were in a negative game script, down all game from the start, they gave 24 carries to Joe Mixon. So he had 32 touches, if you count targets as touches, which I think is super fair, considering you score more fantasy points per target than per carry. So if a carry counts as a touch, a target should count as a touch, minimum. So yeah, he had 32 touches. That's great. And in a negative game script, that's awesome. The Ravens are this simple, guys. Mark Andrews and Lamar Jackson are the only weekly starts. Marquise Brown is a boom-bust guy. You can start him if you want to take the risk. Everyone else you stay away from. Everyone else. There's not enough um, There's not enough pass attempts to go around to anybody else in the receiving game to be 
somebody you can rely upon in fantasy, and there's not enough carries to go around to the running backs because Lamar takes a lot, and then there's three running backs to split the rest that you can trust any of the running backs. So if you have any running backs on the Ravens and you could get anything for them, do it. In redraft, of course. I'm still excited for J.K. Dobbins in Dynasty. The Jaguars versus the Texans. DJ Chark. Man, give this guy a break. He got hurt again. LaVisca Chenault's targets, he can, they continue to climb, but it's important to note that his target share has not really climbed because Gardner Minshew threw the ball 50 times this week. So, yes, he had eight targets, which is more than six targets from last week, but he also threw the ball more this week. LaVisca is the go-to guy, though, with Chark out, so I'm very excited about LaVisca, as I have been since pretty much the start of the season. James Robinson, he's the clear do-it-all back still. It doesn't matter that the other guys are back and healthy. Robinson is getting the receiving work. He's getting all the carries. He's great. And if you can get him for anything less than like a top 16 running back price, do it. Gardner Minshew continues his great stream ability. I don't know exactly what to call it, so I just came up with that. Um, He is a locked-in top 15 quarterback. I think, personally, he's a locked-in top 12 quarterback, which is the way I projected it this offseason. One of the few. So if he finishes there... You know, that's a good look for deep dive fantasy football over here. But, um, yeah, he's great. And Will Fuller, he got outshined by Cooks, but this is important, guys. This is a different Will Fuller. He has shown a high floor. He is trustworthy now. His worst healthy game this year, 15 fantasy points. That is outstanding. Outstanding. That is not the Will Fuller that went 3 points, 30 points, 5 points, 24 points. No, 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 no. This guy has gone like 17, 18, 25, 15. Like he's been great. And it makes sense because he's, you know, he's the guy there now. Even though Cooks outshined him, like I said, but Fuller is the guy. Maybe this week Cooks was the guy, but I think for the season Fuller's still the guy. Even if not, Hopkins being gone makes both of those guys very fantasy relevant. And with that said, we should talk about Cooks. He went nuts. We should have known better. We should have known better. He's been great. And every team that he's gone to, I think, you know, those of us that dropped him, which, I mean, I didn't have him in many leagues, but if I did, I may have considered considered dropping him depending on who was on the waiver. But we, we were a little too hasty because Cooks is a great receiver, Watson is a great quarterback, and they are a position, or they are in a position, that team, that they're going to be throwing the ball a lot. Their defense isn't isn't really that good. And yeah, I mean, he's, he's just got the perfect situation. We should have waited it out. Uh, instead of dropping him because I know his ownership percentage went down a lot after last week's zero but he had 12 targets eight receptions 161 yards and a touchdown and like I said Watson is good he had a good day David Johnson struggled receiving wise only four targets one reception and now we can talk about the last game that we're going to hit on this episode and that's the Saints versus Chargers the one that just finished Keenan Allen He went out early in the game, I think it was like the end of the first quarter, to a back injury, maybe the top of the second quarter. Justin Herbert looks great, and I am happy. I really am happy to have been wrong. He left the bad behind in college somehow. It's crazy because he had all the flashes. Like, I'm not surprised that he's able, that he's done what he has in terms of the good. I'm just surprised there hasn't been much bad with it. Because if you, you know, just look at his college profile versus much easier competition than what he's facing in the NFL obviously and he's actually faced some really good defenses as well I mean Kansas City is no defense that's just like horrible they're probably around NFL average then the Bucks defense is among the best the Saints defense is among the best and he's looked good in all of the games and he's very makes very minimal mistakes so that's the part that's crazy it's not the fact that he's making all these flashy plays to me it's just the fact that he left behind so many like just errant throws and misreads and stuff like that that he did in college he just seems to like he looks like a seasoned quarterback it's crazy but I'm happy to have been wrong because he's a guy that I can root for especially because a lot of people uh, including myself were, were low on him and I love being proved wrong because I mean that's part of what we love in sports so he left the ba- the bad behind in college it's great and it was just a great game to watch all around unfortunately because you guys don't forget, I'm a Bucks fan. Unfortunately, a missed PAT and a field goal hitting the post led to a Saints win, which stinked, stunk, yes, stunk, which stunk. But outside of that, continuing fantasy, Justin Jackson, guys, he is the dude. 
Justin Jackson is the dude. It's not Joshua Kelly, and I called it, and I'd love to see it. you love to see it. 21 touches to Justin Jackson. Kelly got 12 touches. Plus, not only that, but Justin Jackson was in at clutch time in the final drives. He was in in the two-minute drive at the end of the first half. He was in in the final drive when they were trying to put it into overtime. Or no, when they were trying to win the game to stop it from going to overtime. And then, yeah. He was in in overtime. Like, Justin Jackson is the guy. He was in in clutch time. He got the most touches. And he got six targets. And Joshua Kelly got one target. Like I said, Justin Jackson, from the start, is the receiving guy, not Kelly. So, he was the cheaper pickup of the two. And he was the better pickup of the two. So, I hope we all benefited from that as a deep dive team. Because, you know, that's something we talked about on the last podcast. Emmanuel Sanders. Turns out he just needed time to get on the same page as Drew Brees because he's balling out now. 14 targets, 12 receptions, great efficiency for 122 yards, also madly efficient. It's interesting to see if this affects Michael Thomas, uh, Michael Thomas's target share when he returns. And not only that, but if the suspension for fighting affects anything. Michael Thomas was healthy. He was cleared to go. And <coughs> Sorry. He was cleared to go. And I'm just, I'm recording this with like no cuts or anything. So there's a few coughs. It's all right. Bear with me. Michael Thomas was cleared to go and he got suspended by the team, a team suspension, not a league suspension, because he punched, I believe it was Chauncey Gardner-Johnson during practice. And, you know, Sean Payton decided to show the team that that's not okay, that I don't care who you are. That is not how you play for this team, which honestly, it's a good leadership decision. It shows you that nobody's bigger than the team, no matter if you are the best player on the team. So I think it was a good coaching decision. But as a Michael Thomas owner, it did stink, although I was able to pick up Mike Williams and slide him in, which turned out great. He had two touchdowns. But it's interesting to see if either of those things, either the fact that Emmanuel Sanders is now balling out and has Drew Brees' trust and they're on the same page affects his target share, or if there's some internal thing going on because we know like fantasy football and football in general is not just all numbers. There's a lot of personality traits that come into play and like social dynamics and stuff like that. So we'll see if Michael Thomas like takes this personally, if he's the kind of guy that, you know, this bothers him and festers like the rest of the season or, and turns out, turns into like something bad, like a problem. Or if it's something that motivates Michael Thomas, he owns up to his mistake. He realizes it and he, gets his act right quick and you know it's like nothing happened so just something to think about I don't really have like a specific type take on it because I don't know the guy and I don't know what's going on in that locker room I'm not going to act like I do but yeah it's just something to you know to uh to keep an eye on now with the game wrap-ups in the books let's talk about some buy lows I don't have too many buy lows or sell highs we're getting deeper in the season so it's going to get harder and harder to find really good ones some buy lows right now, David Montgomery. Look, he might not be a buy low, but he might just be a buy. He did have a good game versus the Bucks, even though it wasn't really like, I mean, if we're being for real, it wasn't really a good game. He stumbled into a touchdown, and then he had a bunch of dump-offs that were not really even effective. But, you know, like rushing-wise, he was really bad. Not because he's bad, just because it was a tough matchup, and as predicted, like the Bucks defense was really good. And they also lost Vita Vea, so that's... Um, something to note because the rest of the season Vita Vea is you know he's an integral part of that run defense in my my home city Tampa Bay and it sucks that he's out for the season that's really gonna hurt our run defense it's gonna hurt our defense as a whole because Vita Vea not only is one of the best run stoppers in the NFL but and I'm not saying that as a homer just check PFF um, but he's also somebody that pushes the pocket a lot more than people realize. And he is a a big part of why Shaq Barrett and JPP can get to the quarterback and finish those sacks. Same with Ndamukong Sue. And Vita Vey has actually had, I think, two sacks on the season. Um, It was either one or two. But he he was doing good by himself and he draws a lot of double teams. He's integral. He might be like the most impactful player on the defense. And people just don't realize it. We might end up realizing it now that he's gone. I hope that's not the case, of course. But it's interesting to see no longer will I be saying sit the running backs versus the Tampa defense because if Vita Bay is gone, that could be completely different. So we'll have to wait and see how that turns out next week versus the Packers and see how Aaron Jones does in the running game. Miles Gaskin, the next three weeks, the next three weeks suck. Use these, 
you like use this as like a leverage point. If you're trying to get Miles Gaskin, be like, hey, look at the schedule. His next two, his next three weeks are really bad matchups. Use this to buy low because he has a great schedule after that. And like I said, Jordan Howard has been a healthy scratch. So he has touchdown upside higher than before. And then lastly, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. We talked about him earlier. A sell high. There's there's a contingency on this for Todd Gurley, but Todd Gurley is a sell high. Either you can sell high now and you can be like, also look at his th- next three weeks. His next three weeks are really easy matchups and Todd Gurley will be good. Like I'm not saying try to convince them he's going to be good and he's not. No, he will be good the next three weeks. So if you're fine, you know, sending him off and watching him do good for the next three weeks, knowing that it's going to get worse after that, then do that because that's a good selling point. Or if you want to hold him for the three weeks, keep him while he does good for the next three weeks and then try to sell him, you could do that as well. That'll help you more in terms of winning with, you know, having Todd Gurley in there. But it's going to make him harder to sell because, you know, assuming nothing, no huge changes happen to any defenses or anything. After those three good games, if you use him for those three good games and then try to sell him, people are going to see that schedule, especially in like Yahoo or actually everywhere pretty much has like the color coding now. They're going to see that schedule and they're going to be like, his schedule is horrible now. I don't want him. And it's going to be harder to sell him. So if you want an easy time to sell him, now's the time to do it. Otherwise, you can hold them and try in three weeks. And now let's talk about where I was right, where I was wrong. Victory laps. All three of my buy lows from last week's episode hit. Josh Jacobs, 22.5 points after a 13-point game, 8-point game, and 10-point game. 22.5 this week. That was a hit. My other buy low, David Montgomery. Even though I wasn't expecting it this week, I thought this was going to be a rough week. And then after that, he was going to be good. It happened a week early because, like I told you, he stumbled into a touchdown, had a bunch of dump-offs. He had 18.9 points this week after 7 and 11 the last two. And then Miles Gaskin, I said he's a buy-low. He's still a buy-low now if you can get him. He had 20.1 points this week, highest of the season. So all three of my buy-lows were great calls. I also tweeted, and don't worry, I'm not just pumping myself up. I'm going to talk about some things I missed on. I also tweeted out the Colts being favored over the Browns was ridiculous. I did not understand it. The Browns have a better run game. The Browns have, well, no, the Colts definitely have better defense, but the Browns have the better run game. The Browns have the better offense in general. The Browns have the better quarterback. And the Colts, they might have a good record similar to the Browns, but they have not played anybody good. And I thought the Browns at least played a decent opponent that they beat in the Dallas Cowboys. So... I thought that the Browns were going to win this game for sure. So the fact that the Colts were favored and it was in Cleveland was ridiculous to me. I tweeted it out and turns out the Browns did win that game. So that was a nice little mini victory lap there. Gardner Minshew and Watson. I told you guys they were great plays. Watson for DFS, Minshew just for regular leagues and DFS. Both were good. Panthers wide receivers. I told you told you guys play them. Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore both in different ways. Robbie Anderson off volume, DJ Moore off a big play were great plays. And then Mike Davis for DFS, he slammed as well. Darius Slayton went off versus the Cowboys. We expected some receiving guys in, you know, for the Giants to have a good day, and Darius Slayton did. And then I said, sit Josh Kelly. And we just watched that game go to Justin Jackson all the time. So that was a slam too. And now let's talk about some things I got wrong. Actually, not not too many this week. I feel like this is a really good week for me. Start Golden Tate was one of the things, like, along with Terry Slayton, I thought both would do well. Turns out, Golden Tate was meh. I mean, he he didn't kill you, but he didn't really put up anything near what I was hoping or thinking he was going to put up. And then I said, sit David Montgomery this week, even though I called him a bylo, just I thought this week, if you had him, he was not somebody you wanted to start, to start versus the Bucks, but he ended up doing good. And with that said, guys, survivor picks, survivor picks were still alive. We took the Cardinals this week. They, of course, beat the Jets. And now we are, let's see, going into week six. And I'm very, very interested to see how many people are still alive. Remember, I think it was 6.7% of people were still alive last week. After the huge upset with the 49er Miami game, the huge upset with the Raider Kansas City game, and the upset with the Denver Broncos Tampa Bay Buccaneers game, that's three upsets. And I'm willing to bet you guys that the 49ers, the Chiefs, and the Bucks were some were some very popular survivor picks this week. So we might we might be getting down to like top four percent 
So we're just moving closer and closer and inching closer and closer. And we're going to get there. I, I I think we can pull this off, guys. So keep keep up with me on the Survivor Picks if you have been to this point. And if you haven't been, maybe uh, hop on, you know, because I feel like we're doing pretty good so far. The fact that we're still alive and in the top 5% suggests that we are. So with all that said, that's all I got. I will say one more thing. If you've listened to me to this point, thank you. I appreciate you. And I actually have an announcement to make. Pretty excited about it. If you like DFS, if you like FanDuel, if you like DraftKings, if you like betting, sports betting at all, props, anything like that, check out Thrive Fantasy. Thrive Fantasy is a new fantasy app, relatively new compared to the other ones, that is on its way up. It is a trending fantasy app that I have just started using, and I really like it. I enjoy it. It has cool prop bets. The way it works is, and it's it's different. It's a different type of spin from FanDuel and DraftKings. It's not setting a lineup. It's giving you options to choose prop bets. It's really cool. Check it out. Use promo code Deep Dive. If you use my promo code Deep Dive, it's not case sensitive, so you could do all caps, lowercase, whatever it is. Sign up at Thrive Fantasy. They have an app, easy to download on anything, Android, Apple. Use promo code Deep Dive, and you will get a match up to $50 on your initial deposit. You have the minimum deposit of $20. You deposit $20, guess what? If you use my promo code, they're going to match you and give you $20 extra. So you put in $20, you get $40 to bet with. It's a great deal. Check it out. It basically is like this. You got 20 prop bets to choose from. Over-unders on Drew Brees' like for this for this game. There were over-unders on Drew Brees' passing yards, Drew Brees' passing touchdowns, Justin Herbert's yards, uh, Jared Cook's receiving touchdowns, Emmanuel Sanders receiving yards, Alvin Kamara's touchdowns. It's stuff like that. It gives you over-unders. There's a whole bunch of options, options to choose from, and you just have to choose 10 out of the 20, and depending on what you choose, it, it gives you a different amount of points, you know, depending on what's favored, what's preferred in that option that you're taking. And if you score in the top half of people, you get money. And if you don't, you don't. Super simple, super fun. Check it out. Remember, promo code Deep Dive. That is Thrive Fantasy. T-H-R-I-V-E Fantasy. Thrive Fantasy. Go check it out. With that said, I'm your host, Brandon Gabor. Drop a rating, review if you enjoy the podcast. Tell a friend, helps me out, help me grow some followers, grow some listeners, and let's expand the deep dive community. Hope you guys have had a great week. Hope you guys won your fantasy matchups. Remember, the waiver pickups for this week, Alexander Madison, Chase Claypool, Travis Fulgham, Preston Williams, Andy Dalton in Superflex, and Meikle Hardman. I'm your host. Have a good week, guys. Can't wait to talk to you guys before the Thursday game, and peace. Thank you.